0: All right, everyone, time for another edition of Holding Court. Patrick McEnroe here, middle of the Australian Open. So let's get everyone up to date on what's happening there. Of course, you've been following, I am sure, on ESPN2. If you're in the United States, ESPN Plus as well. I know there's been... A little bit of outcry about the ESPN Plus situation, so we thank you all, great fans, for being patient, for finding it as we uh, try to find our way here at ESPN about the best way to continue to have tennis coverage, because just as an FYI, this is exactly why this is happening. I know some people get irritated and pissed off. They're thinking, why do I got to pay more? Um, But this is hopefully uh, a way that we can continue to show big-time tennis for the future here at ESPN. All right, so hopefully you've been able to navigate your way around and get the tennis that you want to see. We're obviously wanting to bring you as much as possible. So I'm getting set to call the women's quarterfinals tonight. Uh, Danielle Collins is on court first. That's at seven PM Eastern time. That will be on ESPN Plus. So we won't be calling that unless it's still coming on when we come on the air. It's going on when we come on the air at nine P.M. Eastern. Eastern time this evening. That's the match I will be calling with Pam Shriver. Um, Sviattek against Kanepi. I've been picking Sviatek in the bottom section of the draw all tournament long. I'm not going to change now. But as we know, uh, particularly in the women's field, uh, hard to predict entirely. Although you may want to keep predicting on Ashley Barty because she has just looked absolutely unbeatable. Destroyed Jessica Pagula in the quarterfinals, dropping just two games in that one. Another great run for Pagula. But Barty, I mean, she's just got so much game, uh, so many weapons, so much versatility with the speed, with the heavy forehand, excellent serve, can volley, can move well, and ha- having no problem dealing with the pressure of being the hometown favorite and all the attention on her down in Australia. In fact, her match with Anissa Mova, which was an excellent match from a couple of days ago, apparently was the highest rated uh, show. I don't know if it was a total show all year or just sports show, but put it this way, it was uh, was a big deal in Australia. So she seems to be handling the pressure uh, extremely well because other players in the past have uh, not handled it that well in their home tournament countries uh, of, of majors. So she'll take on Madison Keys, who was just rock solid against Kajikova to win her quarterfinals. So Keys back into a semi, which is just great news. As I've been saying on ESPN, she's playing just within herself a lot more, using the firepower that she has. Uh, but restarting points when the point's not there to be finished, not getting frustrated when she doesn't finish a point in one or two shots, using a lot more loop on the ball at times, uh, I love the way she's mixing up her serve, using the kick serve a lot on the first serve as well. Uh, and the backhand down the line has is, is really been coming through for her in some big points and big moments, particularly in the last couple matches. So it'll be keys against Barty. Uh, Barty, definitely the favorite because of her variety, her movement, her versatility, uh, but certainly Key's very capable of, of pulling that out and pulling that off to make uh, her second Grand Slam final. Of course, the first one back at U.S. Open when she lost to Sloane Stevens. So we've got the other two women's quarters tonight. Uh Collins taking on Cornet. What a run for her to get to the quarters for the veteran Frenchwoman. First time for her to go this far in a major. Collins has been there now a couple of times, including a few years ago here in Australia where she made the semis. She's got to love her chances here. I mean, unless she's fatigued. Remember, she played that long match singles, played doubles. Uh, probably lucky for her that she went out in the doubles, so she had a full day off. She should be ready for this match it is supposed to be very hot again today so that could be a factor uh in these two matches that are happening in the day and then the last match during the day will be sinner against Sitsapass on the men's side the bottom half of the draw i'm going with sinner in this one uh, his ball striking has been off the charts phenomenal his movement getting better Uh, I think his shot selection is getting better, but it will be tested against Tsitsipas because Tsitsipas has maybe more versatility at this point than center, doesn't hit the ball as big off both wings. And Tsitsipas, back into the quarters, he's been very consistent in the majors. Remember his win over Nadal last year in five, excuse me, here at the Australian Open. But he hasn't looked great this tournament. I mean, he pulled it out against Fritz in five. That was a good match. He's had... Pretty tough matches along the way uh, to get to this place. So if you just go by form, and the way the players look, I'm going to give the edge to Sinner in this. Of course, Sinner's not as experienced yet, but he's he. Brad Gilbert's been saying all tournament and and Darren as well that they love, I mean, I love him too, but they think he's the next great player. I happen to like Alcaraz just a little bit more, but I think they're both going to be Grand Slam winners. And it's just a question of when at this point. So is Sinner ready to, to I think he's ready to beat Tsitsipas. I'm not sure he can beat... Medvedev, who I expect will win his quarterfinal. That's the night match in Australia, which is the middle of the night for us. So that'll be an ESPN plus match. And then starting the semifinals, we at ESPN here in the US will be calling all the semis and all the finals uh, in the middle of the night. But programming at ESPN making the decision to uh, send it to ESPN Plus and what's called the World Feed, which are announcers that are hired by the tournament in Australia. So I know a lot of you not particularly happy with that. That could change down the road for us at ESPN. Maybe they'll they'll put us on those matches as well. And as I said at the beginning of this podcast. Work in progress. We appreciate your patience working with us. We're trying look, we're trying to find a way, we meaning the ESPN, obviously I'm just an employee, so I do I do the matches they tell me to do, uh, and so on and so forth. But we when I talk, put my corporate hat on You got to at least say we're trying to find a way to make tennis continue to work and and be profitable and be something that uh, the company can continue to support. Because I will remind you that ESPN covers Wimbledon, first ball, the last ball, U.S. Open, first ball, the last ball. We did the French Open up until a few years ago. We shared that with Tennis Channel and NBC. Unfortunately, we don't have that. We've been doing the Australian Open ever since I started at ESPN, which is about twenty-five years ago now, and well before that, ESPN was covering it. So, give us you know a little bit of a break. If there's one network that's covered tennis thoroughly of the major networks, obviously Tennis Channel does their thing, and they do an excellent job there as well. Um, but I hear we hear your frustrations. We get it. We understand. So back to the tennis. Uh, I like Medvedev. I think Oje Aliassim will play much better than he did at the U.S. Open when I felt he was a bit overwhelmed in that one. But I think Medvedev just uh, a little bit too solid. Uh, and he seems to play his best now in these hardcourt matches when it matters most. I didn't, you know, a lot of people coming at me on Twitter about the Shapovalov-Nadal match. And, you know, obviously Nadal was amazing to, to, to find a way to win it in the fifth. But some people complaining about him taking the medical timeout and, taking, and changing clothes. Honestly, I didn't see that as a major issue. He was clearly struggling. Uh, he called the doctor. The heat was brutal yesterday. He was feeling it. Uh, he took the time that was allotted to him. He went off the court to change his gear. He was soaking wet. Uh, I thought Shapovalov didn't handle it great. I mean, I understand where he's coming from, but to call the umpire early on corrupt uh, was way over the line. I think he should be fine for that. To say To state your case that you think you know, the all time greats get a little favoritism. Okay. I mean, you could say that. I mean, it's people, people think that, uh, I don't, whether it happens in the course of an actual match, hmm. I would be surprised uh, if you know the umpires are consciously thinking that it's like it's like when you know LeBron James gets a call. They say, oh, of course LeBron's going to get the call. You know he's going to get the, the the defensive player to take the defensive take the foul if he drives the lane. I mean those things happen in every sport to some extent. Um, but let's remember that Nadal's been called many times in his career in some big moments. Uh, for time violations, and he deserves it. I mean, he takes a lot of time, and, and he milks the clock. That's part of his his process. But a lot of these rules have been put in play almost, kind of specifically for him and even Djokovic, who takes his time when he, when he gets to important moments in matches. So I thought Dennis, and I actually think that it affected his mindset in the match, because to me, he absolutely could have won the match. It was a great comeback to come from two sets down. Physically, he was stronger in the fifth set. And Nadal won just because he he continued to play aggressively, served well, and just managed himself well. And I think that's what Dennis is missing. Just a little bit of immaturity came through. Now, in saying that, still a great win for him over Zverev to win that in straights, to get through, to be in position in another major like he was at Wimbledon. But if you want to get over the hump and you want to win one of these, I don't think you can let those things bother you in a match. And it seemed to me that it did. And state your case. You know, you gotta stand up for yourself if you're going out to play one of these all-time greats and 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 make your point. There's a way to make your point to the umpire about Nadal taking too much time or Djokovic or anybody without you know saying the umpire is corrupt. You know, be that that's That's a little rough, and I I, I haven't seen if he's been fined yet for that, but I wouldn't be surprised if he is. So It'll be Nadal against Berrettini, who won a five-setter over Monfils. Monfils came back from two sets, but again, Berrettini a little bit too strong in that fifth set. Uh, and fitness becomes a factor going into that semi. I'll have some more time to break that one down, Nadal against Berrettini. I'll do that in the next day or so. But I wanted to give you all just a quick update on my thoughts as we look ahead to crunch time here in the final week of the tournament. Also very happy to hear that Tennis Australia has changed uh, their decision about allowing the some of the fans who I was on top of this, by the way, four or five days ago with Andrea Warden, our civil rights uh, attorney and activist for all things China, in my last podcast about the uh, people protesting, um, I don't even, even call it protesting, wearing where is peng shui t-shirts uh, walking around the ground. Now I understand taking away the banner because they, they took away their banner at first, they're holding up a banner. And I do understand that at sporting events, you know, you don't want people to hold up banners, you know, in the middle of a match, um, whatever that banner says, uh, unless it's, I guess, supporting a a player. But when they asked the, the, uh, individuals there that were protesting, uh, by wearing the Peng Shui t-shirt to take them off and confiscate it, I thought that went a little bit too far. So the backlash. Uh, was heard, I believe, by Tennis Australia. Credit to Martina Navratilova, who spoke out very vociferously about it and very eloquently, uh, as I saw her discuss it uh, in the Tennis Channel coverage. And she had a great line, which was, this isn't a political statement, it's a human rights statement when it comes to the Peng Shui situation. Because the argument from Tennis Australia was that we don't want uh, people using the grounds Uh, whether it's a player or a fan to make political statements. So I think Martina put it very well with the way she stated it. Uh, And obviously there is a, Pretty big outcry on Twitter as I follow a lot of these Chinese activists as, as well because of my interest in the Peng Shui story. And I will be saying on this story just so you know here on my podcast as we wind, wind down this tournament at the Australian Open and also start to look ahead to the Olympic Games, which are starting on February third from China. So we're going to stay on that topic. We're going to continue to uh, find guests that are way more knowledgeable than I am on this particular topic to educate me and to educate you. So I give you my promise here on Holding Court that we will stay on top of that story and any others, including the vaccine debate as it relates to tennis specifically and where Novak Djokovic goes from here. So that's it for this edition of Holding Court. Hope you are enjoying the tournament. Enjoy the final few days. It should be something to see. Moulding Court with Patrick McEnroe is powered by Mudhouse Media.